0: No? Well, hopefully you guys can hear me now. Can you hear me now? Am I on? Huh? Am I on? Am I on now? Can you hear me now? If I whisper, maybe you can hear me. In the- well, I'm just going to do it anyways. So, I'm going to do the talk. I don't know if I'm on or not. Okay. I they're like looking at me like, what? But well, we're back in our Old Testament study of uh, 2 Kings. So make your way over to 2 Kings chapter 4 as we cover a, another whole chapter. And, you know, as, as I was looking at this chapter and studying this chapter and looking at this chapter, I'm just kind of looking at some incredible miracles that God will do in the life of common, ordinary people. Um, Now, God will use a man of God by the name of Elisha to kind of be a part of all these miracles per se. Not that he's going to do these miracles in one sense, in some instances, but he's going to be a part of it. And there's nothing really special about him, except for the fact that God has called him to be a vessel, a vessel that is willing, a vessel that is useful for his glory. Uh, it, it's interesting if you remember back, I think it was in chapter 20 of Second Kings, or maybe it was chapter 19, yes, it was chapter 19. When we first come across um, this man, Elisha, he was plowing with a a, a yoke of tw- a, a 12 yoke of oxen. Um, however that looked, I think he had other workers and he had one of them. He had the 12th one. Um, but he was just an ordinary guy who was farming his, his property or his father's property or his family's property. But but he was just a common, ordinary kind of guy because we don't hear about him before. We don't hear that he was in the school of the prophets like we hear that kind of going on. He just looked like somebody that was out there working. And at one moment, his mentor, Elijah, came by and the Lord kind of brought them together and he put and says that he threw his mantle on him. And it was from that time that he left everything behind as a matter of fact, he got the, the oxen and he got the carts and he got everything that was that he was using and he cut it up and he made an altar basically and, and burned the oxen as a burnt offering of saying, here it is, Lord, I'm offering everything to you. Everything that I've ever owned, everything I've ever had, I, I'm giving it to you because I'm going to follow after you. And he became Elijah's servant. And now... God is using him. Again, we know the story. We covered it a few weeks ago, a month ago. That when it was time for Elijah to get going, that Elisha was following him. And every time he says, Hey, why don't you just stay here? I'm going to go over here. He goes, not on your life. I I want to see what God's going to do in you. I'm following after you, no matter what. And all those things kind of happened. And now God's using him. God's put him in a position of being used so powerfully. He was just an ordinary kind of guy. Now, before we get in our text, keep your finger or, or your bookmark or whatever here in in Second Kings chapter four. I want to read to you Ephesians chapter three verses fourteen to twenty-one. I I, I want to read there because. As we go through what we're going to cover tonight, God is still doing amazing things in people's lives. Because we read a chapter like tonight and we're going, geez, man, this guy's amazing. God just uses him to say things, to do things, and, and, and it's just amazing and remarkable, right? But God's still doing those things, even today. God is doing miracles in the lives of common, ordinary people. He is showing himself in in crazy ways to men and women of God who are nothing really special, per se, except for the fact they've been called to be vessels of God. And then they're going to be used of God or they're being used of God. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, he says, For this reason, Paul writing... For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory and be strengthened with all might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power That works in us to Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What an exciting portion of scripture that, that He gives us in Ephesians of what God wants to do in our lives if we but just kind of hang out with Him and, and be available for Him that He will do these kinds of things in our lives above above what we can ask or think, exceedingly above all that we can ask or think. He, he does these things when we comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height of all that he is. And so with that, we go back to, kind of keeping that in the back of your mind as we go through this study, in verse one chapter uh, uh, or verse one of chapter four of Second Kings it says A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah saying, Your servant my husband is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord and the cr- and the creditors are coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elijah said to her What shall I do for you? Tell me. What do you have in the house? She said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And he said, Go, borrow vessels from everyone, from everywhere. From all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather a few. And when you have come in, And shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into those vessels and lay aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. We'll stop there and camp there for a little bit. What we're going to see here as we begin to see this story we're going to see several stories in this chapter about four different scenarios going on. And Elijah is involved in every single one of them. I, I I don't know if Elijah was praying, Lord, just use me right now. Just put me in situations that maybe are beyond my control to where I have to go and do something that's incredible. I don't know if he was just praying those things or if he just was open going, Lord, what do you have for me today? I'm just going to go and do what I'm supposed to be going and doing. And, and Lord, you just bring to me what is, what is necessary and I just want to be obedient to you. Now, what we don't know in this particular story here was where they were at. We don't know the location where this took place. But from what we know in chapter 2, we know that the schools of the, the sons of the prophets, that there was one in Gilgal, one in Bethel, one in Jericho, and there may have been others as well. But we're not quite sure where they're at, but it could have been in one of those places. So we don't know exactly where the location is. But after the battle that took place with Moab down deep south and on the east side of the Jordan, Elijah has now made his way back to one of these schools, wherever it was at we have a situation here that's pretty intense. It's a pretty dire situation. Almost seems hopeless, if you will. We don't know how this man died, but it is obvious that Elijah knew this man. Because the woman says, your servant, my husband, died. And you know how he has feared the Lord. You know what kind of man he has been. You know the type of person that he is. So, so you're, you're aware of my situation, aware of this man. Now, I don't know if Elijah got there and already knew that this man died or he got there and then this thing happened and she came looking for him and says, bro, my, my husband's dead. He's dead. Now, it says that he was a servant of Elisha, which could just mean that he was one of his students or perhaps another teacher, but was under him in that sense. Because Elijah was the big cheese prophet at the time. He was a big daddy. He was a big kahuna. And everybody served him in that sense. Now, what is interesting here is that these this son of the prophets left his wife in debt and, and and i find it kind of interesting and i don't know if there's a, a a a distinction between the sons of the prophets that are learning to be prophets and those who were priests because the priests they were not supposed to gather anything for themselves because the lord was their portion they didn't have stuff they got paid by what the people brought into the temples and 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 they lived off the people. I, I don't know if the sons of the prophets had that same kind of criteria, but obviously this guy, he had gotten himself in debt somehow. And so when he died, he left this woman in debt. And so this woman... Now a widow finds herself in a very vulnerable situation. She has lost her husband and she may be losing her sons because there's no way she can fix this. She has nothing. This man left her nothing. And I kind of think it's like, well, how did you go in debt? What did you go in debt for that she doesn't have anything to show for it? You know? maybe if he would have bought a used chariot that he was going to fix up and he put in the garage, maybe she can sell the chariot. Get some money off of it. At least what... I don't know. But be that as it may, this lady is in debt and she has nothing. She has nothing to show for his debt and what he had done. And so this woman is in a bad situation and widows... Were, were were always vulnerable because if they didn't have sons that could work for them to take care of them, then who's going to take care of these people if they don't have family around? And her sons were probably younger, so they really couldn't go to work because this guy wants to take them and make them slaves as they grow up and work for him. Being a son of the prophet, again, probably not having a lot of stuff, well, she was in a very, very vulnerable situation, and it is basically no fault of her own that she is in this situation. And in this sense, or in this scene, God will meet her right where she is at. Because now she knows that Elijah's in town, and she goes to this man who she knows can at least give her some advice as, as to what to do here. She has nobody else. And so it says that Elijah, she said to Elijah, or so Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? And I look at this and I, I just see Elijah's heart. It's a, it's a heart of a, of a pastor. A, a heart of somebody who, 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 who kind of oversees people and he say, sees that this person is hurting. And says, how do I meet that need? How do I come alongside and help you? How can I I try to fix this? And it's like, well, her husband's dead. You can't fix that one, right? But she's in debt. How how, how can you fix this? He, He understands the situation. But he doesn't just fix it himself. It's interesting how he does this. Because he's, he says to her, what can I do for you? And he and he just turns around and he says, tell me, what do you have in your house? And maybe he's thinking, okay, so if he left you in debt, let's go sell that and take care of that. She goes, I have nothing. All righty then. What can I do with nothing? She says, well, I have nothing, but I do have a jar of oil. Huh. He can't fix this, and all she has is a jar of oil. Again, I, I just feel like this 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 man, he's put in the situation, he's being sought out. It's like, hey, I need some help. And without skipping a beat, and this is what I was tripping on, because oftentimes as pastors, we have no clue what to do. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> You're probably going, that gives me a lot of confidence. Well, sometimes we just don't know. People come into my office, come to church, it's like, bam, 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 bam. And I'm going, please, Lord, help. I don't even know what to tell them. I don't know what to say. I just don't know. I am like drawing blanks. And, And you pray through that. And you're going, what do I say? And without skipping a beat, this man, and again, I've seen God do this time and time again, he begins to say, so what do you have? What can we work with? He says, well, all I have is a jar of oil. All I have is a jar of oil. And again, without hesitating, he says, okay, well, then let's do this. Go and borrow some vessels from everywhere. Go, Go hit up your neighbors, because I know that everybody has these vessels lying around, apparently. Go hit them up. And, and, and when you go and get as many vessels, and, and he says this, and don't gather a few of them, get a lot of them. I'm thinking, what are you thinking? Don't get a little bit, get a lot of them. I just find it fascinating that he had just, it doesn't tell us that he prayed here, he just said this to him, to her. What do you got? This okay? Then go and get vessels, and 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 and, and don't get a lot, little. Get a lot of them. And when you have come home, shut the door. Shut the door and go in your room or in your house with your sons. And this is what you're going to do. <laughs> Begin to pour it out into the vessels. That little jar that you have. Now I'm I'm not thinking a big jar. It's a little jar. I'm thinking like a mason jar, you know, quart size something. I'm not thinking of jug, a big jug, like a gallon. I'm thinking small. But can you imagine as this woman is out getting vessels and I'm thinking, okay, did she like listen to this and go, you want me to do what? Because she has to listen to what this guy says to her and he says, and pour it out in those vessels and lay aside the full ones. And she's probably thinking, what do you mean full ones? I have a little bit of oil. But she does something that's remarkable. She listens to him. And she goes and does what she is told to go do. Now again, I'm thinking in my head, okay, does she like, okay, start asking for for vessels, or does she go home first and look at the jar and going, what is he talking about? Why would I need so many vessels and I only have a little bit of this oil in this jar? But it's interesting because we know that it tells us in, in, in the, one of the, the verses there that, that she did it as she left. She took this guy's word for it. She, she went and began to borrow vessels. And I just find it fascinating that sometimes... And I know it in my life, but He puts us in those situations when somebody comes to you and says, this is what's going on. And because you've been prayed up and read up, you begin to minister to somebody and it seems like you didn't even skip the beat. And all of a sudden they're going, that's what I needed. Sounds far-fetched, but I'll go do it. She went... And began to do what he told her to do. And I can, I can only imagine as she begins to have a vessel here and her oil here, she's going, okay. And begins to pour. And maybe the vessel I'm thinking in my mind was bigger than the small jar that she had. And it's filling up. And she's yelling out, boys, give me another one. Give me another, seriously, like for real. Give me another one. And she just starts filling them all up. Can you imagine what is going on in her head? This is crazy, guys. Look at what's happening right now. Just look. Again, does that not just blow your mind? When you begin to think that God somehow is going to work in this hopeless situation when you have nothing to really offer. And and, and he says, what do you have? I said, well, I have this little bit that I have with me, and God said, well, I'll use that. Because in this situation, Elijah didn't go with her and say, here, I'm going to show you what to do. He just told her what to go do. He wasn't involved in the miracle in any way. And, 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 and it's almost like, I think sometimes people think that we as pastors have this special little mojo, you know, that we are the only ones that can pray for people that we are the only ones that can truly do this or truly do that. And and I understand the position that we're in. This lady went and sought him out, but he didn't go, well, let me go take care of it for you. He says, what do you have? You see, oftentimes God wants to use what you have. It might not be much, but he wants to use what you have. And with that, he could do a lot with. And as much has been given to us, or what we have received, even if it's a little bit, we are to pour out. And as we pour out, we begin to minister and fill other things in other people's lives. And that just sounds remarkable and amazing to me because you and I know who we are, spiritually speaking and physically speaking, and our limitations. And we think, well, we're not that holy. And you're right, you're not. Nor am I. But I do know that God can use people like us, because he used a guy that was plowing the field just a few years back. And now he's telling this woman without skipping a beat, this is what you got to go do. And I don't know if he walked away going, doggone it, I hope it works. I think he had just so much confidence in who God was. And he says, go do this, guarantee." He had never done that before i would never read it before that anybody had done something like that before in that sense. Well, Elisha, you know, he, he did the whole oil and or he had all kinds of stuff going on, too. But but this one was different. At what point? <laughs> at what point would you and I begin to question this plan? If you, if you were in dire straits, if you were in a hard situation, if you were in a situation that, that, that you're so, like, helpless and even desperate, at what point, when somebody tells you this is what God wants to do, I think, at what point do we start just questioning and going, that's so foolish, man? It's nonsense. Or would we be that desperate for God that we would go, it sounds crazy, but I'm going to go try because I have nothing else to go do. I have nothing else but to trust what this man is telling me, and I know that he's a man of God. And so she shuts the door, and it's interesting because we're going to see that phrase several times in this portion in the Scripture. And the shutting of the door meant that this miracle was just for them. Elijah wasn't even involved in it. It was just for that woman and her sons. They were going to see God do this crazy, crazy miracle. But can you imagine as she is around going, and they're going, hey, can I borrow a vessel? For what? I got something going on. I got a little scheme up here going on. A little money-making thing. I'm getting into the oil business. And this is going to start pouring out. It's a gusher. What? You're in the oil business? I'll tell you later. But she goes and does what she is told to go do. And in verse 7, well, verse 6, it says that she was asking for another vessel, and they said, Mom, there's no more vessels. And it was at that moment that the oil ceased. If she would have got more vessels, I would have been filling up bathtubs. I, I would have. I would have just like, give me some ghost, dig a hole, me home. Go, 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 go. Before, before I have to twit, do this, you know, I'm going to fill up everything, man, and we're going to be rich. <laughs> I would have taken advantage of the situation. But be that as it may, the oil ceases when there's no more to be done. There was no more to be She had poured herself out, basically. And that's, that, that's what we're called to do, to pour ourselves. What we have received, we are to give out. The little bit that we get, we get to pour out, and it can make a hundredfold of what God has given us. Because that's what God does. With the little bit, He could do a lot. Super a lot. And so the oil ceases when there's no more vessels to be filled. Then she comes to the man and tells him, what happened? And he says, okay, here's what you do now. Here's the practical part of it. Go sell the oil and pay for your debt. She's going, I don't know about that, Dad. I need a car. I need a really nice chariot. Super nice chariot. Maybe I should go spend my money. And he's going, no, go do what is practical. Go take care of what you got to go take care of. Be faithful in that. And the rest of it. He will live off of. That's what's practical. He continued to pour out until the supply was over. And then he wanted her to go do what was faithful. And then to just, just be faithful in those kinds of things. And he would continue to supply for her. I just think it's fascinating. Verse 8. It says... And it happened one day that Elijah, Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman and she per- persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please, let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and turned into the upper room and laid down there. Then he said to Gehazi Gehazi whatever his name is Gehazi his servant Call the Shunamite woman When she when he called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Say now to her, Look, you have concerned you have been concerned for us all with You have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said, call her and she, and and he when he had called her she stood at the doorway and he said about this time next year you shall embrace a son and she said no my lord o man of god do not lie to your maid servant but the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which elijah had told her. Now this portion that that we just read is quite a contrast from what, we, what from what we just covered just a while ago. The, there's, the similarities that, is that they're both women, and both of them know Elisha, and that's about it. But the contrast that we have here is that one is a widow, and the other one is married. One has sons, and the other one doesn't have a son at all. One was in ministry, and the other one wasn't in ministry in that sense. One was in in debt, and the other one was well off. One needed help, and the other wanted to help. One asked for help, and the other one doesn't need any help. And so there's some contrast that we see in these two stories. And the town of Shunem is just south of Jezreel. When you look in your maps, it's just south of Jezreel, and it is between Jezreel and Samaria. And so Elijah would often travel that route to go from Samaria to Jezreel, from Jezreel down to Samaria. And so she says, hey, hun, would wouldn't it be awesome if we just kind of house this guy and take care of him? I've already persuaded him and convinced him to come and always eat with us. And my, oh my, if you pass by my house and you don't stop to eat, now I'm going to be really mad, so you come and eat at my house. And so he he would always stop and eat at the house. And I'm sure she was a good cook. But now she comes to a place where she's going, we know that this is a man of God and he is doing a good work. We want to bless him. We want to take care of him if we can. And so she asks her husband if they can build him a room on the wall, which was probably their house was on the side of the wall or however it was, but they want to do this. Now, it's interesting because some, some commentators suggest that this woman was way more spiritual than her husband because she is the one that came up with this idea of housing this spiritual man, Elijah, and he didn't. And I don't necessarily agree with that. Women are just more sensitive to things like that of nurturing and caring for people in that sense. I don't think that this guy didn't care about him. I just think he's probably going, I didn't call him into the ministry. He wanted to go in the ministry. Let him, <laughs> he can take care of himself, man. Men are more practical. Women are more nurturing that way. It's like, well, honey, maybe we should just build him a room. It's like, kidding me? you want to fix it up and probably paint it a certain color and put it... <sighs> Women are just more nurturing in that way. It doesn't mean that they're more spiritual. They're just more nurturing in that way. But be that as it may, this good man builds her a room or Elijah's room. And Elijah took advantage of it. Whenever he was there, He went in, and I'm sure he truly, truly did appreciate her kindness, his kindness, their kindness. So much so that he wanted to do something for her. Because she had never asked for anything. She didn't do it for anything other than, I just want to bless this man. God uses him in mighty ways, and I just want to bless him. And I don't think she wanted anything in return. Her motives, I believe, were pure. And when asked what she wanted, if there was anything that he could do for her, her response was, I dwell among my people. In other words, my family takes good care of me. I don't don't really need anything. Here was a woman who simply wanted to bless somebody else, especially this man and his servant. She just wanted to serve him without expecting anything in return. I truly believe she was just an amazing woman. In Acts 20, 25, or 35, the last part, it says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that was this woman here. She had the wherewithal to do stuff like that, but all she wanted to do is just bless this guy. Then you have Elijah on the other side Of this receiving thinking, what can I do to bless her? Because she's never asked for anything. All she has done is shown kindness to us and her concern for us. And he's not satisfied with with her not wanting anything from them. And I thought, man, isn't that the way it should be for us? That we would just want to bless each other? As you get blessed, you bless in return. In marriage that we would do that always? That if you get blessed, you would always bless? That you would always try to out-bless the other person in that sense? Isn't that the way it should be? Because this guy's going, man, I'm just getting so blessed. How can I bless you? She's going, I I really don't need any more blessings. I'm blessed beyond measure. And she seemed, or as, as he... He presses the issue with his servant. He, the servant. The servant says, well, she actually doesn't have a son. And in those days, it was frowned upon to not have a family, especially a son in your family. Oftentimes, these people that were barren like this or couldn't have kids, they thought, well, there must be sin, or other people thought there must be sin in your life. And, and they often thought, well, God must be punishing me because I don't have any kids. And that was the, the stigma that came along with that. But I, I believe that she had already reserve, uh, re- resolved in her heart the fact that she would never have children. And when Elijah says to her, you will have a son by this time next year. She basically says to him, don't mess with me. Don't, don't be messing with my emotions. Don't, don't be getting my hopes up here. I've, I've already lived without a son. Don't be telling me I'm going to have a son and mess with me here. Is what she's saying. I, I'm good with that. I know my husband's old. And, and it could be that he was, he was old and she was old. It could be that. It could be a, 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 Abraham and, and Sarah kind of deal. Or it could be that he was just way older and she was younger. And she's going, it's just not going to happen. And I'm okay with that. But as we know from verse 22, she can see, oh, not verse 22. From verse 17, that she conceived and bore a son. And it's almost like, man, what an amazing story. Here, these people are trying to bless each other. And Elijah says, by next year, and sure enough, man, the word of the Lord comes true. And she has a child. Just like the Lord said. Verse 18 to 37. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out with his father to the reapers and he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knee till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please, send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys, and I will run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. And she saddled the donkey and said to his servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so they departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite, Shunammite woman, please run now to to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, It is well. Now when they came to the man of God, or when she came to the man of God on the hill, she caught him by his feet, by the feet. And Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone. Let her soul, uh, for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So he said, so she said, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Get get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not m- greet them. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the s- face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as my soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went, on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. When Elijah came into the house, there was a child laying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore shut the door behind the two of them, And prayed to the Lord. And he went up and laid on the child. Put his mouth on his mouth. His eyes on his eyes. His hands on his hands. And he stretched himself on the child. And the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house. And again went up and stretched himself on him. And the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, call, call this Shulamite, Shunamite woman. So she call, he called her and when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So they went in. So she went in, fell on his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. What an amazing story. Man. We're not sure how old the son is here, the kid. It doesn't tell us, but he's old enough to go out with his dad into the fields to go help him work. Probably not to do a lot of work, but to be with his dad and to see all the stuff that's going on. But he's young enough that when he is carried back to her as as she is, he is sick, She he gets to sit on her lap still. And when he dies, she carries him up to the 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 room elijah's room but this kid as he is out there he begins to say my head hurts my head hurts and it must have been some excruciating pain that the son that the dad understands this is not nor no ordinary pain whatever is going on whether it's the heat or whether there's there's something going on in his head but something is happening to this little boy And he calls the servant, takes him back, and I'm sure as as he comes back to mom, she is taking care of him and trying to relieve whatever pain he might have, but he died. He died. This, this, this crazy story of this lady that wants to bless this man and do good by the man of God. And now he said, man, I want to bless you. I want to give you a kid and and all these things. And, and however many years later, this kid dies. And she is probably thinking, Ugh, why is this happening? All I wanted to do is bless people. All I wanted to do is take care of whatever you had for me to do, Lord. Why is this coming upon me? What did I do? Right? And she takes him up to the room and it says that she shuts the door. Probably in an effort to keep his death from her husband or anyone else. But it wasn't in a bad way. If it's in the harvest and if it's in the heat of the day, again, again, this body is, something might start happening there, but she shuts the door so nobody else knows what's going on. Her plan is to get to the man of God. And when she tells her husband what he, she wanted to go do, he's probably thinking, why in the world do you want to do that? It's not church day to day. It's not a new moon, nor is it the Sabbath day. Why do you want to go see this man of God? He'll come when it's in due season. But being a good husband, he gets her what she needs. And being a good wife, she keeps him in the dark about what's really going on. And she basically tells him, peace out. Serious. Because the, the, the phrase, it is well, means peace. Peace. I, I like the way the King James puts that phrase. It says, "It shall be well. It shall be well. And so she saddles up the donkey and books it down to Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is probably about 20 miles from where she's at. And again, you know if you're walking there, that's going to be an all day thing, but now you're riding in a donkey and she tells this guy, step on it. I don't care if I'm old. I don't care, man. we got to get to this man as quick as we can. And you only slow down if I tell you to slow down. Other than that, man, I'm hanging on for dear life and we're going to go get this man of God. And they make it there. And it's an amazing feat that they would make it so fast over there because it's already 12 when he dies. By the time she takes him up, by the time she gets the saddle and all this stuff, boom, let's get going. Probably another hour, two hours, and she's booking it. And she makes it there enough time to find this man. Now, I mentioned to you the phrase, it shall be well. Because about 35 years ago, on May 30th, 1982, the Lord used that phrase in an incredible way to comfort my wife and, and me, for that matter, when we lost our son. And we were so young in the Lord and so young And it was that phrase, it shall be well, that carried my wife as she knew that the baby was dying in her stomach. And as we went to go have the baby, and it was stillborn, and what's going through our head, her head especially, it shall be well. It's like, he's dead. He's dead. She had heard that phrase at a ladies' retreat that weekend from this woman that was speaking. And she kept on using that phrase, it shall be well. And the Lord started ministering to her. And this lady is telling somebody else, her son is dead. He's in the upper room. And she knows, i got to go get to this man. And it's like, honey, what are you doing? It's like, it shall be well. It will all be well. She had no clue that this cat was going to raise him from the dead. Had no clue. But it was going to be well. Because it's been well with us. 35 years later, it is well with my soul. It hurts, yeah, but it it is well with my soul in that sense. But God uses that. God uses that. He says, peace, peace. I give you peace, not that the world gives you, but my peace. And it changes everything, people. It changes everything. And he gets us through with whatever we go through. And this is another situation that this man of God is in, and he has no clue why she's coming to him, but when she sees him, or when he sees her, he's going, whoa, this is quite a surprise. Probably like, hey man, how is everybody? You know, the the servant's going, hey, he wants to know, how. fine, everything's great. She just didn't want to talk to him and get into the details here. i got to go talk to that man. And when she gets to that man, she grabs him by the feet, and now he knows something's up. (laughs) Something is up. And this woman is in deep distress. Her soul is in deep distress. And he's tripping out that the Lord hasn't revealed to him why she is. It's interesting that he thinks that because he assumes all the time, God, you speak to me. Why didn't you tell me anything here? But he says she's in deep distress. He knew that part, man. She's hanging on for dear life. And she said, did I ever ask you for a son? I didn't ask for this. I had already resolved it in my life that I would not have a son, and you gave me a son, and now I'm I'm looking at this going, you know, at at times as pastors, we want to help people, and then we help people, and then we turn out to be the bad guy. And people, like, turn on us, and it's like, I just wanted to help you. Dang. But that happened." And even in your life when you're trying to help somebody and then something goes wrong and the people are going, why'd you do that? Why, why, why'd you get involved in it? It's like, I thought, I, th- I. but she's basically telling them, I never asked you for a son, did I? All I wanted to do was bless you. And now this blessing that you gave to me, I'm in deep distress right now. And as she told other people, it shall be well with you, she, she's not feeling that right now. She's not feeling it at all. It's almost like she said, I told you not to mess with me, man. I told you not to mess with my emotions. Because right now I'm all jacked up. And here we have another situation that just seems hopeless. And she didn't ask for that. Just like that other lady didn't ask for her husband to die and leave her penniless. And so there's another hopeless situation that there's a dead kid. Another hopeless situation. And, and, and here, it's, it, we don't see him praying or anything, but the Lord gives him direction and he tells his servant, get ready, go. Go take care of this. Do not lollygag. If anybody talks to you, ignore them, man. You book it back over there and here's my staff and you put it on this kid's face. And it's all to no avail. Because he gets there, and he is obedient, he does everything that he is told to do from this man of God, and he goes and he does this, and nothing happens. There's still no breath, there's still no life, and he's going back like, Ugh! and he goes back, and like, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And isn't that just a kick in the head sometimes, when, when you're doing what you're told to be doing, and you're going, I'm obedient to you, Lord, why isn't it happening right now? Why is this happening? been obedient. I've been doing everything. And and, and I don't know why things like that happen, but sometimes it just doesn't work out the way we think it should work out. Even if we're being obedient, it just doesn't work out. And it's not until Elijah gets there in verse 32 that he comes in and he sees this kid dead there. And some people say, well, maybe he wasn't like dead, dead. He was just mostly dead. No. He was dead, dead. But he goes in and he shuts the door once again because this was not a show. And I think that all of this, every time that he says, hey, shut the door behind you, do this, just you and and your Heavenly Father, just you and your family, it's not for everybody. This This isn't a show. You don't have to call everybody. You don't have to tell everybody. You don't have to do any of that. It's just you and God. And I think oftentimes we make the mistake of thinking, "Well, well, if this is for me, it's for everybody. It's like, no, sometimes God just wants it for you. And when you're going through a hard time like this, it's not for everybody. It's just for you. It's just for you to pray. It's just for you to shut the door and let nobody else know what you're going through sometimes. Elijah prayed this time. But the miracle didn't happen the first time. He came to the he, 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 he came back to life the second time. <laughs> and again, man, you're just going like, this man, this old man is getting on top of the road It's like, this guy's been background checked? Why is he doing that? It's like a creeper. No. He puts his face right on his face. And his hands right and he lays right on top of him. And however that happened, God just hears him. And he does something. He brings this kid back to life. Man, oh man. And he presents this kid to, to the wife or to the mom. Verse 38. And Elijah returned to Gilgal. And there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said to his servant, Put on a large pot. And boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered from it a lapful of wild gourds, and came and sliced them into the pot of the stew, though they did not know what they were. Now then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, man of God, there is death in the pot. (laughs) Don't say that husbands to your wives. Don't say that. Do not say that ever. Even kidding around, don't say that. There is death in the pot. And they could not eat. And he said to them, Bring me some flour. I didn't know he was a chef either. (laughs) Bring me some flour. And he put it in the pot and said, Serve it to the people. And they ate. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Then a man came from Baal, Baal, Shelisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruit, 20 loaves of barley bread, and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, what? Shall I set this before 100 men? And he said again, give it to the people that they may eat it. it. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left over. According to the word of the Lord. Here we see Elijah in another situation. Again, wanting to bless the, the sons of the prophets. Like, hey man, we've been doing all this stuff. There's been a famine. Let's let's make a stew. I want to bless these guys. And then they cry out, there's death. <laughs> this thing stinks, man. What do you want to do, kill me? Like, well, basically, yeah. But, but again, another situation that he finds himself in. And he didn't ask for this. He just wants to bless people, but now there's death in the stew. And again, without hesitating, he's going, go give me some flour. Went to culinary school. I know how to fix this. How did he know that? How did he know, except that the, that the Lord gives him direction as the situations arise to fix the situation? How does he know that except that he's been spending time with the Lord? And when a situation arrives, all of a sudden he's doing, well, let's do this. And it just seems like, do you know what to do all the time? Because that's what it looks like. like. You always know what to do. And I just think he was just being practical and going, Lord, what do I do? Okay, bring me some flour. Let's take care of it. The guys were able to eat. And then a guy comes from this place and he brings this loaves and he offers it to him. And when we think of loaves, we think of the ones from Stater Brothers. Man, it's like, yeah, that could fit. A no, they're probably more like buns. 20 buns. It's like, this is this going to feed 100? No way. He said, put it out to the people. Take the little bit that that, they, that we have been given and let's give it to other people. See what happens and see how God will take care of that. Isn't that crazy? I mean, can't you see what God is doing here? That that this man of God is being put in situation after situation after situation. It doesn't look pretty. It looks hopeless. It looks like, man, oh man, this is disaster. Everything he touches right now is disaster. He goes somewhere, somebody dies. Huh. Man, oh man. And he doesn't bring that, that other guy back to life, but he brings his kid back to life. Why? Why then and why not over there? I don't know. But man, oh man, there just seems to be stuff that happens in our life and it's not always pretty. But God will meet you right where you're at. And He will use what you have. Just the little bit. When I say a little bit, sometimes it's just our little bit of faith that we have. (laughs) It's like, Lord, I don't know what to do. It's like, well, you have faith in me? Yeah, a little bit. I'll use it. I could do something with a little bit. I could do a lot with a little bit. I can, I can I could feed hundreds with a little bit. I could just keep on pouring and pouring and pouring until there's nothing more for you to do, and then I'll stop the pouring. Other than that, just keep on pouring. Don't stop. Again, I see a man like this, like Elijah, and I see that this man was once just plowing a stupid field. And now he's put in the situations where God is using them in powerful ways. Isn't that crazy how God can do that? If you just kind of open yourself up and go, I want all you have. I want double what that cat had. I want it all. I don't want a little bit. I want it all, Lord. So put me in those situations. And sometimes we get put in a situation where we're going, why did you put me in this situation? And then you open your mouth and God just blesses it. Or they turn around going, why would you do that? I don't know, thought it was being obedient. And there's failures sometimes. And God even can turn those failures. Guys, I, I I read this the other day. I'm just going, Lord, just with the vision that you've kind of given us as a church, there's just some crazy stuff going on. And it might not always look pretty, but I can guarantee you this, God will show up. God's going to bless, guys. Guys, he's gonna do exceedingly abundantly what we can ask or think. I truly believe that with all my heart. I'm not just, just like, oh, Pastor, there you go again. It's like, no, really, man, it's been ugly already. (laughs) We're barely, we're barely into, into March, man. It's like, I'm gonna get jacked up this year, but it shall be well. It will, it will be well. (laughs) That's some hope here, man. That's what I'm trying to give you guys some hope. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it might look like, people. It might be death all around us. Maybe death in the pot. You know? And God says, "I'm going to put some flour in there. You'll be you'll be able to swallow it. Might get some heartburn, but you'll swallow it. It'll be okay." I'm going to stop right there because time's up. <laughs> Worship team, come on up, man. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this chapter, Lord God, just for how you've ministered to me, Lord. And again, just kind of reminding me, Lord, taking me way back and reminding me what you've done 35 years ago, Lord, and how you have just carried us through and with the good, the bad, and the ugly that's come. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters because they've all gone through a lot of crazy stuff too, Remind them, Lord, that it shall be well. It will be well with their soul, Lord. Even through the pain, it will be well. So, Lord, go before us right now, Lord. Strengthen my brothers and sisters. Whatever they're facing right now, Lord. Whatever's in front of them. Lord, just like that lady grabbed onto Elisha, that we would grab onto you, that we'd be so desperate for you, Lord, in every way. Blessed be your name, Lord, for you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.